0: on the subject of spiritual gifts and our roles and responsibilities in the local church. The aim is to equip you as God's servants and saints for the work of the ministry. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12 tells us that. To that end, I will begin today by preaching on our theme verse, which is behind me. My points this morning will be in the form of questions. And so I'd ask you to join me with uh, attention, uh, hopefully distraction free as we consider this great theme, serving the Lord with gladness. Lord, as we uh, commence here in your word with this incredible theme, I'm asking that you would uh, cause our minds to be engaged uh, on the Word of God and that which is being taught. Thank you for all that uh, I have learned in these last days and Uh, Lord, for the privilege that it is to stand before uh, these people and open the word. I pray that you would uh, use the things that are said for your glory, not for temporal things, but for eternal things. And so I pray our hearts and our eyes would be fixed upon you, waiting expectantly for you to do something in each of our hearts and lives. We look forward to it and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Serve the Lord with gladness. Question number one that we're going to ask of the text this morning is this. What is service? Here we are called to serve the Lord with gladness, which means that we have to have an understanding of what service is to begin with. And so let's begin with a definition. What is service? Service in every sense, secular or spiritual, is simply the action or work of doing something or helping someone. Most of us know that it's not who we are, but it's something that we do something done historically and biblically. The word is associated with slavery, servitude, or the subjects of a king. That's where we get this word from. To serve is to work. It is both practical and physical. Service relates to our outer man, external. But it is driven by our inner man. It is driven by our internal heart and mind. Service is what we do. And by the way, service in and of itself is neutral as a term. It does not contain morality to it. The morality contained within service deals with what goes on inside, before what we do outside. Service. Action of helping or doing something for someone. The Bible says, serve the Lord with gladness. This is a call to do something. Do something. What is service? Question one. Question number two that we ask of the text this morning is... Why should I serve? And this is very, very important because we need to have a reason for the things that we do. If we don't have a reason or our reason is insufficient, then what we do is of no value. So we must have a reason as to why should I, why should you serve? Now, if you've been in church settings for any length of time you will certainly have heard the rousing call by preachers or perhaps in books or wherever to go and serve the Lord to do something with your life for Jesus Christ and that's a good call but the question before that call is why should I do this why should I serve Even the hymns that we sing rouse us often to go tell the untold millions, rescue the perishing, work for the night is coming when man's work is done. However, it is essential, it is vital to understand the reason behind the call to serve the Lord with gladness. Otherwise, and this is the great danger in church today. Otherwise, if we do not have that reason, we will be engaged in ritualism and duty. And before long, there will be no joy associated with it whatsoever because we don't have a satisfactory reason for serving the Lord. So I'd like to give you a few reasons this morning as to why we must serve. Reason number one. Because our new identity is as servants of the Lord. That's our new identity. Why should I serve? Because I am a servant of God. Turn with me, please, if you would, in your Bible to the New Testament, to the book of Romans book of Romans in chapter 6. This is Paul's great book of theology, his treatise uh, of uh, the deep matters that relate to salvation and our God. It's an incredible book. And in Romans chapter 6, we're jumping right into the middle of a huge theological discussion, which I don't have the time to give you all the context for, but I'd like you to find in your passage there, verse 17. Chapter 6 and verse 17. And let me read, us, read down to verse 22. Paul says, verse 17, "...but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed." But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. For now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. This is something that we fail to understand in our culture today, that we are God's slaves. That is a concept that most people don't want to engage on. This is The, real, the Bible says that previously in our life before Christ, we were slaves to sin. The ball and chain of sin was connected to us. We had no hope and help in this world outside of Jesus Christ, who came and took our place on the cross of Calvary in order that we might be purchased and his possession and now slaves of a new order. And that new order is none other than God's order. We were bound by darkness, now we have light. We were bound by sin, now we have been saved. This is an amazing reality and what people fail to see is that we are in one of two camps. We are either slaves of sin or we are slaves of God. Now that concept of slavery conjures up all kinds of thoughts and uh, imaginations in our mind, but the reality of it is we are bought With the precious blood of Jesus Christ and owned entirely by him, we are not our own any longer. In fact, we were never our own. Even before we were not our own because in that we were bound by sin. Now we are Jesus Christ's. And let me prove that to you once again, if I can, by just taking us to the next book, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. One book across. Again, it's the Apostle Paul, and he's dealing here with sexual immorality uh, and how it ought never to be named once, once amongst those who are believers. And at the end of this treatment of this subject, in verse 19 of chapter 6, Paul says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Notice the next phrase. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price. You are the glorious possession of Jesus Christ. Why should I serve? The Bible says, serve the Lord with gladness. Why should I serve? What is my motive or what's the reason for serving? It's because of my new identity as the servant of God. Of God. That is one of the compulsions to serve. Second reason that I'd like to give us this morning why should I serve? It's also because of our supreme love for God. Service must proceed from a love for God. Anything short of that is not service of any value. We won't turn to this, but in Luke 2 and uh, excuse me, Luke 10 and verse 27, the Bible says the Lord Jesus said this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Um, what was the greatest command? The greatest command is and was and always will be love God supremely. Love God supremely. Take inventory, brethren, this morning. What or who do I love the most at this very instant in time? That is a sobering question. That is a soul-searching question. Because if we're honest, a lot of the time it is not the Lord our God. It is many other things. I'd like you to turn with me in 1 Corinthians, if you'd go just a little bit further to chapter 13. We know this is the chapter of love. Chapter 13. And let's read the first three verses. Again, the Apostle Paul says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. In this passage, Paul reminds us that the possession of great spiritual gifts, prophetic powers, mountain moving faith, ultimate generosity, and even martyrdom is of no spiritual value whatsoever if it is not the outworking of a love filled heart for God you may burn at the stake in the name of christianity without love for a god it is worthless that service is worthless because if it is not made up of that critical ingredient and comes from the motive of love for a god primarily and then others it is of no value that's a hard saying is it not That we must love God supremely. Therefore, when we serve the Lord with gladness, it's because I understand I am a servant of God. And then secondly, because I love him supremely. That's why I serve. If we serve without love, it is simply ritual. It is dead orthodoxy and service that amounts to nothing. See, what was the problem at the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2? You remember, they had been preaching, they were evangelizing, the church was growing, there were people everywhere, they were opposing false teachers and those things that were evil, erroneous doctrines. But God said something very important. The Lord Jesus wrote to them and said, all of that's wonderful things, but you have one great problem. You've left your first love. May that not be the reality for us today. Take inventory of your love for God. The third reason why I must serve. Because I'm committed to obedience. As a believer, I'm committed to obedience. The Apostle Paul tells us again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that we are to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor in the Lord is never never in vain but that is because we are working for him for the Lord Joshua 24:14 says this he said before the people now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness during my study and preparation for this message I came across an illustration that I haven't read for many years and I think it's profitable for us this morning to help us understand this commitment to obedience and love. A missionary in Africa was asked if he really liked what he was doing. His response was unexpected. Do I like this work, he said? No. My wife and I do not like dirt. We have reasonably refined sensibilities. We do not like crawling into vile huts through goat's dung. But is a man to do nothing for Christ he does not like? God pity him if not. Liking or disliking has nothing to do with it, he said. We have orders to go and we go. Love constrains us. Love for God makes a delight out of a duty. It lifts even the most mundane ministry, whether overseas missionary work or service in the local church, out of the realm of repetitious ritualism. Some try to serve God without loving him, but no one can love God without serving him. Let me say that again. Some try to serve God without loving him, but no one can love God without serving him. As Spurgeon boldly declared, he is no Christian who does not seek to serve his God. Why, number three, because of our commitment to obedience. And then fourthly, why must I serve Because of the surpassing value of eternal work. Because of the surpassing value of eternal work. Uh, Church, we need to remember our service for God, that which is done because we understand our identity, that which is done because we love God supremely, that which is done because we want to be obedient, is not temporal, it is eternal. That which is accomplished for the Lord endures beyond the veil of death, and that treasure is not susceptible to corruption or theft, as Matthew 6.20 tells us. When we serve the Lord, we take part in building his kingdom. What a privilege we have. You see, the servant of the Lord should not be primarily concerned with earthly investments, for they have no eternal value. However, the Bible tells us a drink given in the name of Christ on earth will be remembered for all eternity. A simple task such as that given in the name of Jesus Christ will be remembered for all eternity. Matthew excuse me Mark nine 41. Let's not lose sight of what really matters because of the surpassing value of eternal work. Why should I serve the Lord? Because it has eternal value. This is not just building uh, uh, houses out of wood and, and things that we do in this life. It's not about building a bank account. This has eternal reward to it. But we don't do it for the eternal reward. But the surpassing value of that work goes beyond this life. Before I move on to question number three, I just want to very briefly touch on a quick subject, which is the wrong motives for service. Very briefly, I just want to mention this. I've just got three listed here. Just going to touch by them. But what are some wrong motives for service? When we say serve the Lord with gladness, what's a wrong motive? Well, here's one. Because it's what everybody else is doing. Christian culture. We individually must make the decision that we're going to serve the Lord for the reasons already mentioned, not because it's the thing to do within the church not because we have little committees over here or little ministries over here and well I just I'm not going to be a part of it otherwise and I want to be a part of it it's like a click mentality that's not the correct motive for service let that never be the motive for us well everybody else is doing it I should do it too it is a conscientious decision of my heart before the Lord I want to serve the Lord regardless whether there is or is not anybody else doing it And not just here in our midst, but out there in the world, serving the Lord. That's one reason that's a faulty or wrong motive. Secondly, because I owe God something. Christian karma mentality. Well, and I hear people say this from pulpits so often. Don't you realize all that Jesus has done for you, you should be doing something for him. Now, that concept is wrong foundationally because here's the reality. Jesus did give up all for you and his expectation is that we would serve him, but in no way could we ever pay him back were it even possible. Our service is not, I'm trying to gain God's favor in what I do that he might be pleased with me. He is already as pleased with us as he is with his own son because we are clothed in his righteousness. We need to understand our identity. We're a servant of the Lord, which means we are owned and possessed by him. Precious possession. There's nothing better or worse that you can do because you're fully his clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If we understand that, then we can serve. Because if we serve trying to pay God back somehow like Christian karma, we do it with the wrong motive. You can't pay God back. Don't bother trying. If you're going to try and do this, you may as well stop now because you'll never be able to. All of eternity spent in his service will still not pay one iota of the debt owed. That's the reality. We are his fully. We are clothed in his righteousness. That's the second wrong motive. But the last one for our consideration, and this is a danger in church today, a wrong motive for service is because the church demands it. Some sort of church allegiance. Well, you know, the, the, the pastor or the preacher or the elders or people in the church are saying, Hey, we need you to do this. We need you to do this. Could someone do this? That's the wrong motive as well. You ought not to answer the call of, can anybody help with this, unless you firmly believe in your heart that that is what God wants you to do. Not simply because there's a need. Just because there's a need doesn't mean it's your job to fill it. I have seen churches all of my life who have all these ministry programs and suddenly a ministry begins to die a little bit, perhaps by God's sovereign will. He's actually closing that ministry down. And preachers are busy saying, we need someone to help in the kids club. We've got to have people, whereas God may be closing it down. And what we do is we say, well, there's a need, and I feel a sense of allegiance because the church demands it. The church does not have the right to demand that. We must walk with the Lord and know what He would have us to do and where He'd have us to be. So let's not let what everyone else is doing, because I owe God something, or because the church demands it, be our motives for service. Question number three Who should I serve? Who should I serve? What is service? Why should I serve? And now, who should I serve? And the answer is obvious. We all know it. If you've been in the Bible or church for any length of time, you know that the answer is the Lord. The Lord. But the simplicity of that answer doesn't change the difficulty of that answer. Our text says, Serve the Lord. With gladness. Now notice in your Bible, if you're still there in Psalm 100, it's capitalized, this word Lord, speaks of Jehovah, Yahweh, that sacred name of the eternal God, the one who is and was and is to come. We must remember our service is for the Lord. It is so easy to say that, it is incredibly difficult to live that. You say, what do you mean it's so difficult to live that? We perform religious activity every single week that is not really for the Lord. Oh, we have all the outward expression of it, but am I truly doing it for the Lord? Do I sing loudly in church because I want others to hear my melodious voice? Do I dress nicely on a Sunday because I want others to be impressed with my wardrobe? Do I cook an extravagant meal for our monthly church service so that others can praise our culinary skills or notice our ornate crockery? Do I engage in physical exercise perhaps during the week because I want my body to be useful in God's service or because I want other people to notice how slim I am? And I'm not speaking of myself. The reality is all of the things that we do, that we do many times are not really for the Lord. Unless, of course, you are very different to me. I know that in my life there are many religious activities that I perform. And at the end of the day, they're nothing more than theatrical performances for the sake of others. That someone might think something of me. That someone might uh, look at me and say, wow, what a spiritual person that is. Or perhaps because we just got to get something done. It's not for the Lord at all. It's because, well, you know what? The carpet needs to be clean because it's filthy. But in actual fact, our service is for the Lord. Serve the Lord. By the way, it doesn't say serve the church, it says serve the Lord. That's really critical. We don't serve the church. We do engage and minister and exhort one another, but we serve the Lord primarily in everything we do. If I'm serving another, it ought to be because I'm serving the Lord. It's very, very easy to perform as a Christian. And because we don't see the motives of the heart in one another, all we see is the deeds. We don't know what's going on in that heart. You know in your own heart like I do. How often do we perform religious duty that doesn't mean anything? We are to serve the Lord. Our supreme goal in all of our service is to bring honour and glory to the Lord. I was overwhelmed some years ago when I did a study in the Ten Commandments. Growing up all my life knowing the Ten Commandments, but the fourth commandment really hit me some years ago. In Exodus 20 and verse 7 it says this, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, most of us have heard that. Most of us know what that means. Most of us have probably either instructed our children or people around us. It is wrong for people to blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure we'd agree with that. Don't say that name as an expletive. Don't misuse his name. That's not what the text is saying at all. Not at all. That is a very small part of it. What it is actually saying, when you understand what the word name means in Hebrew, it deals with the nature of that person, deals with the character, the very essence of who they are. Don't take God's essence and character in vain. Here's what I'm saying. We take the name of the Lord in vain when our Christian service is motivated by anything other than the honor and esteem of God's character. That's what happens. We take God's name in vain when we do not serve the Lord for him. And how many other applications could be made from that text? Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Don't misuse his character. Don't walk around as though you are worthy or excuse me. Don't walk around as though you are serving him when in actual fact your heart motive is in a very different place takes the name of the Lord in vain. So who should we serve? We should serve the Lord. Number four, serve the Lord with gladness. What should be my manner in service? The attitude and manner of the servant engaged in the work of God is one of gladness. Gladness. This word means so much more to me After the last four months of my life, gladness, joy, it means pleasure. It means delight. It speaks of a joy that comes from within, not external happiness or a a happiness of circumstances around us. This is an internal joy and gladness that comes in serving the Lord. Think of this progression of thought. The servant who is working for the Lord will operate in gladness. Or in the reverse, the servant who is operating with sadness, the end result that we see, the external characteristic, sadness or dullness or out of obligation, cannot be performing it for the Lord. That's the reverse of this. If you are sad, if you are dull, if this is an obligation, whatever you're doing, then you cannot be doing it for the Lord. Because when the servant of the Lord does it for the Lord, he does it with joy that comes from the Lord. Listen to this verse. Psalm 16 verse 11. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. God, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. You say, um, I noticed last year, uh, Daniel, that you had a terrible time of depression, of being downhearted. How did that happen? Very simply this I was not walking in the presence of God. Because when you walk in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. The Lord Jesus says, Abide in me, and you will have your joy full, full to the brim and overflowing. It'll be bubbling out of you, is the reality. In fact, Psalm 43 verse 4 says, God, our exceeding joy, God, our exceeding joy. Not the wealth in the bank, not our family, not even the word of God itself, but God, our exceeding joy. Please note this service performed by a true servant of God whose delight is in the Lord will find the dullest of duties, both a privilege and a pleasure. I don't know about you, but I don't particularly like cleaning the toilet. I don't necessarily like cleaning the gutters. However, when there is a Christ-centered approach, even the most repulsive tasks can be accomplished with spiritual gladness and delight. Let me give you an illustration, which uh, is personal. Some years ago, I had the opportunity to visit a pastor in another state. This particular man was actively engaged in community evangelism. We would go, do- and he would go door knocking several times a week. I accompanied him on one particular occasion. We arrived at a most dilapidated home, which reeked of nicotine and marijuana. Upon entering the premises, my pastor friend and I were escorted to the lounge room. When we entered the room, I was aghast at the scene before me. On the floor was fresh vomit. In the corner was a teenager who lay almost prostrate on the floor, hardly clothed and surrounded by the evidence of drug use. The room was dark and smoky. The man who was sitting with us smelt like he'd not had a shower in over a week. I was nauseous. I was offered a drink of water, which I quickly turned down as I thought about the state of the glass and what could be in it, even though I desperately wanted a drink. Completely unfazed by the smell or the surroundings, my friend preached the gospel to this toothless man for well over an hour. Finally, we were led to the door, and I mean finally. Finally, we were led to the door and we said our goodbyes, having reached the outside and having taken a very large breath. I then asked my friend, how do you do it? How do you enter into a place like this with all the drugs, vomit, disease, and uncleanness? His response, which I will never forget. He said, it's easy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Nehemiah 8.10. He could walk into a situation that was repulsive to the best of us. He could sit there with a man with the gospel as his focus, with his God as his supreme joy, and was, for the most part, oblivious to the surroundings. How can that happen? Well, that happens when we serve the Lord with gladness. That happens when service for the Lord is what we are consumed with, and it's our passion as opposed to look at this place, see the needs of that person, see what the Lord sees in that person. What should be my manner in service? It ought to be joy. If you're not a joy-filled Christian when you serve the Lord, perhaps you should take some time away from that ministry to find out what's gone wrong. Because we ought to be joyous in our service. Our last question, final question, is this. And I think this is a very, very important question. It's not a question of the text, but it's a question of our Christian life. What should I do? Personalize it. What should I do if my service for Christ is merely a duty? That's an important question. What do I do? Uh, What should my approach be then if right now as I sit here I think, I don't really want to serve. I find this dutiful. I don't find this a delight. I don't find it a pleasure. I don't really want to serve. What should I do? Well, I want to address this all-important question before we finish. The reality of it is all of us, All of us, without exception, go through times when our service for Christ seems to be an obligation and not a privilege. We just go through the motions. And joy that comes from the Lord is not a reality. So let me give you three things to consider before we close. What should I do? My service feels like a duty. I want to serve the Lord, but what do I do? Number one, paramount in this list is number one. Ensure that you are, in fact, a servant of God. There will be no joy, no joy in service for the Lord if you do not know the Lord. True joy and delight is not possible for those outside of Christianity. There is a phantom joy. There is a, a sort of super. Uh, a fake joy out there it looks a bit like the joy of a christian sometimes but true joy is only possible in the life of a christian because god has changed that heart and he has put joy into that heart romans 6 says one of the things that comes from being justified declared righteous is that we now have joy in god and that's an unchanging reality within doesn't mean we always walk in it but it is always there within perhaps that's not a reality if your life perpetuates service without joy in other words if it is an ongoing life without joy and you're serving it's very likely you are not born again and you need to take care of that need this is your most important need of the hour only Christ can give lasting joy and fulfillment If this is a question in your mind, I would urge you to talk with me afterwards. That I can show you from the scriptures how you can have joy in Christ. So number one, ensure that you are in fact a servant of God. You say, yes, yes, tick that box. I know I'm a Christian, so I know that I'm a servant of God. So that's not the problem. Okay, let's look at number two. What should I do if my service for Christ is merely a duty? Check your motives. Check your motives. We've already talked about the motives for service. If love for Christ is not the supreme reason for your service, the task itself will be void of joy and pleasure. It will be. Because I'm, not do- I'm doing it for that person or I'm doing it for the church or I'm doing it for, for uh, an individual who I want to uh, appease their feelings or, or the, uh, the expectations they have upon me or whatever the case may be. If it's not done for the Lord, it will be void of joy. It will be. That's the way God designed it. So check your motives in serving the Lord. Ensure you're, in fact, a servant of God. Check your motives lastly. And this is really important as we move forward over the next few weeks. What should I do if my service for Christ is merely a duty? Thirdly, confirm your gifts and calling with regards to the activity or the service. Confirm your gifts and calling and calling with regards to the activity or the service this third aspect is going to form part of our ongoing studies into the spiritual gifts but here's what i want to say in conclusion here for us this morning knowing where god wants you to be and what you ought to be doing is essential to serving with joy knowing where god wants you to be and what you ought to be doing is essential to joy for example if a man is thrust into the pulpit as a preacher but does not possess the necessary gifts for that task he will find it dull uninspiring and begin to resent it let alone not be the right man for the job this was always God's design it was always God's design that if you are a square peg trying to go into a round hole it's not going to be very joyful It's going to be hard, and you're not going to appreciate that reality. So we've got to confirm, what is it that God wants me to do within his church? What are the gifts that God has given me that I may put out within the service of God to enable us to function as a body? What is it that God wants? Because if I'm doing something that is not what he wants, it will be without joy or limited joy, and after a while it will become a duty. Well, guess I've got to preach again today. Don't really want to. If that is a reality in whatever your ministry is, then you need to take inventory. Am I saved? Am I God's? Are my motives right? And am I where I need to be as it relates to service? Every believer has been given gifts to serve. Every single one of us. And discovering our place in the body is vital to finding pleasure and fulfillment in God-given ministry. Serving the Lord with gladness. Is only possible when we operate with the right motive for Christ, the right attitude, and the right activity. May the Lord help us this year as we learn what it is to serve the Lord with gladness. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word, for this initial message that will make its way into many different areas over the course of the next few months. Uh, Lord, as we continue our studies into spiritual gifts, as we seek to understand what it is to serve you with a gladness and a joy that comes from you. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the time we could spend together here this morning. May it be an encouragement and a challenge. Again, Lord, I ask that if there may be those in our midst who perhaps do not know the reality of being a servant of the Lord, that today they would find out what it means to be saved from sin to know what it is to be a child of God and to be able to serve him with gladness with their life. Lord, thank you for this hour and this time together in Jesus' name. Amen.